This is the KOTO Community Radio News for Friday, December 16th. I'm Gavin McGough. And I'm Julia Caulfield. In today's headlines, Town completes Lot L study and considers the results. Mountain Village approves comprehensive plan amendment. A day in the life of a miner with Finton Cole and eyes to ears with Bella Eatman. And a mountain weather forecast. The square of rugged pavement that serves as the courtyard for Shantoka, Cimarron, at a place in a collection of other housing developments has been getting a reappraisal. As part of the town's southwest area plan, which was adopted in 2021, Telluride has been studying how Lot L can accommodate not only more cars, but more traffic, more transit, and more housing. Speaking at a town council work session this week, Town Projects Director Lance McDonald runs through the parking lot's current capacity. Lot L is also known as the Shandoka Lot. It currently uh, facilitates 330, approximately 330 surface parking spaces for the Shandoka facility. Also, the private sector or the private market uh, housing, uh, multifamily units in the area, some commercial also on what's called Lot K, which is the Cimarron. It also provides the general day use parking and ski area parking as part of the ski area. Colorado Scary's obligation to their special use permit. Basically, the parking lot is could be characterized as over allocated in its current condition. Throughout the summer and fall, design firm Cushing Terrell has been working with the Telluride Housing Authority subcommittee to come up with a possible design for a parking garage and transit hub with affordable housing wrapping the building's exterior. Initially, the firm came forward with two plans, says architect Laura Dougherty. We came back with two potential schemes, and one being a three-level plus uh, parking structure, which meant it took up more space, had a bigger footprint. And then a second one we called Concept B, that that one was a smaller footprint, but a taller structure uh, at four levels. Concept B proved the favorite, and Cushing Terrell moved forward with plans for a taller building with a smaller footprint. The benefit here is opening up green space to the west of the garage for community use. Randy Rhodes, also with Cushing Terrell, runs through what the design of the parking garage includes. We actually were able to meet the 960 uh, vehicle goal. Uh, that is in a four-level parking structure. We've got uh, 35 to 45 uh, resident-occupied affordable units, uh, 3,280 square feet of ground floor transit-oriented use that's a bit less. We think it makes sense and it, it fits and we're able to get the parking to work and, and the other features that space between uh, Shandoka Creekside and the edge of this proposed uh, structure. Potentially that could be playground space, child care, neighborhood commercial, or uh, have improved river access that works through there. The design almost triples the number of parking spaces which currently exist in the Shandoka parking lot. This means the garage could also house cars parked at nearby Carhenge. The Carhenge area could then be built into housing or go towards any number of other uses. The proposed garage, topping out at around 40 feet, occupies almost the entirety of the existing Shandoka parking lot. Public comment focused on the neighborhood impacts of such a large building. Brendan Shine worries about the impacts. Uh, I think I'm in an echo chamber here. I'm kind of repeating what other people have said. The parking structure is going to increase the uh, parking capacity at our end of town. I, I, And just a little background, I have, it just appears to be deleterious to the entire neighborhood on any number of levels. Uh, 
I know that there's no ideal solutions, but this thing seems to be shoehorned in uh, completely out of scale. Uh, Why not dial it back? Doug Sanders says the multiple uses packed into the Lot L garage could be spread out in sites across town. He suggests town take a step back. And find out first if if the town is interested in, in having such a large scale project thrown into that part of town. Or if there are other ways, as we said, we can use some other sites to reduce the size and the scope of this particular project so that it does some of the pieces that you want, but maybe not all of them. Dave Valentine, however, adds that capturing hundreds of cars right at the entrance of town has been a long-term vision and reduces overall traffic in Telluride. This was always meant to be the intercept lot coming into town at the west end at the entrance. And it was always envisioned that there would be the Shindoka lot, that, that parking lot, and that that's where a parking structure would be built. Because we found that people drive into town, they're driving through Main Street, they're round, going through all the neighborhoods trying to find a parking space. You know, the idea is to come in at the entrance to town, get parked, grab one of our free buses, and be able to cruise around town. Cushing Terrell's presentation to town council marked the end of their study, and council will now have to consider next steps. If the construction project is pursued, the estimated cost is between $77 million and almost $90 million. The phased construction process would take multiple years to complete. Mountain Village officially has a newly amended comprehensive plan. Make a motion to approve the resolution to amend the comp plan. Second. All in favor? Aye. 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 After two years of discussion and public comment, Mountain Village Town Council approved the amended document last week. At the meeting, Assistant Town Manager Michelle Haynes explained the process, starting with what a comprehensive plan is. We first adopted a comprehensive plan in 2011. We have a statutory requirement um, to plan for future development. The town of Mountain Village is 55% built out in terms of our land and 61% built out in terms of our density. The intention of a, of a comprehensive plan or a master plan is that you can envision your future development and then your control mechanism is through your community development code. She notes when it comes to the reason for the amendment, there are five main purposes. To simplify and modernize the comprehensive plan, align and clarify the role between the comprehensive plan, which is the guiding vision document, and the town's community development code, which is our regulatory document. We re-examined the Mountain Village economic model. We um, also reviewed and updated the town's growth strategy and model, and we uh, removed overly prescriptive tables, formulas, and policies. Over the course of the two years Mountain Village has been working on the plan, they've hosted a number of community meetings, providing different opportunities for public comment. Ellie Schaefer, a consultant with MIG, working on the comp plan with the town, says from that public input, they've shifted what the comp plan outlines. Some of the major changes we made to the plan based on all the feedback included reducing the overall targeted hotbeds um, in the village center and removing any hotbeds outside of the village center. Again, the meadows update um, and reduction of some of the envisioned density in the meadows. Um, We greatly expanded the community housing policy section. I think we added nine pages to that section. Um, We kept all six open space future land use categories um, just to clarify that matches what was in the 2011 plan to provide that level of detail and clarity that the community desired. 
Um, and lastly, we added some more overarching priority lists and desired amenities to complement the public benefits table. Part of the amended comp plan includes reducing some density in the meadows, a point of contention for some. During public comment, Patrick Latcham shared his concerns with reducing density. We're all in this together. We all need to work together on it. And there's a lot still to be done and, and to do, but I think that was um, the target density reduction is what uh, was of concern to me. Mountain Village received hundreds of written public comment, both for and against reducing density in the meadows. According to Mountain Village Town Manager Paul Weiser, a reduction in density in the meadows actually brings the plan more in line with what is feasible. The notion that there's any sort of reduction in the amount of affordable housing that can go in the meadows is simply incorrect. And the amount of, um, when we're talking about the meadows density as it's in the amended plan, and going down to the platted levels on most cases probably gives a developer a realistic view of what can be developed rather than uh, an incorrect view of an inflated version of what can go in there. Mayor Leila Benitez adds developers can propose a development even if it's not in the plan. My request would be that across the front of the comp plan, there's a banner to all future developers that says just because it's not in here doesn't mean you can't do it. Exactly. If you have an idea, if you have a plan to bring it forward to the town. Because I think there is this misconception that if it's not in here, like if every single hotbed, if every single deed restricted bed is not identified, that it's not happening. On the flip side, council member Dan Caton notes a project being listed in the comp plan doesn't make it a sure thing. If it's a poorly thought through proposal, if it's, you know, if they don't uh, follow Michelle's guidelines for um, development, yes, it's a, it's a, a guiding document. It's not a, it's not the CDC. Council member Marty Prohaska concludes with highlighting the difficulty of creating a comprehensive plan that speaks to the wants and needs of the entire community. That is a really hard thing to do and we have to do it but yet understand it's not perfect and it never is going to be. And after two years of back and forth and many rounds of zhuzhing, Mountain Village Town Council unanimously approved its amended comprehensive plan until the next amendment comes along. You can't touch this. You can't touch this. The fall semester at Telluride School District is coming to a close. In the final day in the life of a minor of 2022, Telluride High School's Fenton Cole brings the latest on pro sports. This is Fenton Cole on your sports update. The Denver Nuggets won their road game against the Portland Trailblazers 121-120 to and won their home game against the Utah Jazz 115-110. to they are third in the Western Conference going into a road game against the Wizards Thursday night and the Lakers Friday night. The Denver Broncos lost their home game against the Kansas City Chiefs 34-28. They have a home game against the Cardinals next week. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers lost their road game against the San Francisco 49ers 35-7. They have a home game against the Bengals next week. The Colorado Avalanche won their road game against the St. Louis Blues 3-2 in overtime. They had a home game against the Philadelphia Flyers and won 3-2. They have a home game against the Buffalo Sabres Thursday night. The Chicago Blackhawks lost their home game against the Winnipeg Jets 3-1 and lost their home game against the Washington Capitals 7-3. They have a home game Thursday night against Vegas 
and a road game Friday night against the Wild. The Calgary Flames lost their road games against the Blue Jackets 3-1, against the Toronto Maple Leafs 5-4 in overtime, and against the Montreal Canadiens 2-1 in a shootout. They had a home game against the Vancouver Canucks and lost 4-3 in a shootout. They have a home game against the St. Louis Blues before they have two road games against the Sharks. That's it for this semester's updates. Thanks for listening so far this year. I'm Fenton Cole reporting live from Telluride High School, and we'll see you in 23. In the final eyes to ears till 2023, Telluride High School's Bella Eatman looks to love. Have a listen. Good evening once again everyone. Welcome to the Kodo segment Eyes to Ears, a radio segment where I, Bella Eatman, find paintings I find in multiple local galleries to describe to you, the listener. Perhaps if we're lucky, I could interview some local artists myself. Today will be an interesting episode, for better or for worse. We will talk about the painting called Another Day in the Life by Marcus Pearson. I encountered one of his works in a gallery entirely dedicated to his pieces, and, as I will explain more later on, this piece caught my attention emotion-wise, if you get what I mean. The painting focuses on a couple sitting at a table. Both are in the appearance of humanoid coyotes. One is a lady in a nice, long, and billowy red dress with red heels, a pearl necklace, and a cute early 1900s bob. Across from her is her lover, in a jade green suit with a light blue undershirt, as well as a red and yellow necktie. A look that makes you think of fancy, yes, but still a little bit more common than the wedding and ball gown. The lady is all dolled up with her makeup, and her partner gazes lovingly through common glasses. They drink wine and be merry as a lovely painting of a common date. You're imagining a restaurant, aren't you? Unfortunately, that's not where our characters take place. There may be that table, uh, but the lovers do not rest on chairs, but instead ride on a wild steed donned with flight goggles. A wild scene surrounds them, green hills with a small house atop, nearly torn to shreds by a tornado from the right side of the canvas. Yet the thunderclouds still rage behind them, dark and looming. All this and the lovers are still together and happy. While I was at the gallery, I noticed that Marcus likes to put poems on his paintings. This one reads as follows. Another day in the life, my sweet, and it seems fate has offered us our usual dose of unexpected challenges. Our path never seems quite easy, but when I gaze upon your lovely smile, think about the grace that is your way and hear the wisdoms you speak into my eager ears, I know I'll be fine. Here's to us, my love. Long may we run. To be honest, I was a bit scared to record this episode. I liked the painting when I saw it. I thought it was cute, lovely, and romantic. However, I saw this painting when Eyes to Ears was a nameless concept. 
Now I've recorded four episodes, including this one, and I know that I must talk about how I feel about this painting. And frankly, I'm but a high schooler who's barely lived a life. So how must I talk about a topic of long, romantic relationships when I've never had one? And of course, I have no idea. And all I know is that when I see this painting, I enjoy the idea of two lovers being happily together. Thank you for listening. I will be gone for the next three weeks for winter break. Nonetheless, I hope you celebrate in whatever way you do for these last few weeks before the end of the year. Even if you don't celebrate anything. But this has been Eyes to Ears on Kodo. My name is Bella Eamon, and I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. A new public safety measure is coming to San Miguel County. This week, the county launched a new mass notification system called San Miguel County Alert and Warning to keep residents and visitors up to date on everything from road closures to evacuation orders and wildfire information. The system will replace the previous Code Red emergency alert system. The San Miguel County Sheriff's Office notes anyone who was registered with Code Red will need to re-register with the new system. San Miguel County Alert and Warning went live on December 15th. Individuals can register by texting SMC Alert to 65513. A night out in Norwood could take you from deep space to the depths of the ocean floor. Or at least that's the promise of Dark Night, an evening of music and spoken word organized by Norwood author and geologist Craig Childs. Although the show is a long-running winter tradition in Paonia, Colorado, this is only the second year it will be brought to Childs' hometown. The theme of this year's show is Convergence, and it features Childs' storytelling accompanied by a handful of musicians. Doors open at 7 p.m. at the Livery in Norwood for a 7.30 show. There will be a cash bar. Denver Mayor Michael Hancock declared an emergency on Thursday in response to an ongoing flux of migrants arriving from the southern border. KOTO's Lucas Brady-Woods has the details. The emergency declaration gives authorities access to additional resources and funding for accommodating the migrants. Mayor Hancock says almost 250 have arrived since Monday. He also says the city and its community partners are sheltering more than 400 migrants who have arrived in less than two weeks. This influx of migrants in our current space and staffing challenges have put an immense strain on city resources to the level where they're on the verge of reaching a breaking point. He also says more migrants are continuing to arrive on a daily basis. The emergency declaration comes a day after the city opened a second emergency shelter and a site where migrants can register and access resources. Hancock urged community groups to continue offering shelter space, clothing, and sanitary products. I'm Lucas Brady-Woods in Denver. 
community members came together to cut their own Christmas trees at the annual holiday Posada celebration near Sunlight Mountain on the Thompson Divide last Saturday. That includes Vicky Raudas, who wanted to give her 10-year-old son the same experience her own mother gave her growing up in Aguascalientes, Mexico. As Aspen Public Radio's Eleanor Bennett reports for Rocky Mountain Community Radio, Raudas and her family drove from Edwards hoping to find the perfect Christmas tree to cut down and take home. It's a snowy, gray morning, but the energy is high in the parking lot at the Babish Gulch Trailhead outside of Glenwood Springs. Bad Bunny is playing on a loudspeaker. A few people are standing around the fire, sipping a Mexican hot chocolate drink called Champurado. And Smokey the Bear is greeting families as they arrive. We are having uh, tamales and people just getting ready to cut their tree. And right now we're just uh, gathering here next to the bonfire. Omar Sarabia is the director of Wilderness Workshop's Latino-led environmental advocacy program, Defiende Nuestra Tierra, or Defend Our Land. It's the third year that the program has partnered with the White River National Forest for the free bilingual event. Sarabia says they're calling the day a posada. It's a traditional party before Christmas in Mexico. For us, it's just a great excuse to connect the Latino community with our local forest, but at the same time create memories for their families as well. About 120 people registered this year. Edwards resident Vicky Rodas says she heard about the event on the local Spanish radio station, La Nueva Mix, and told her husband immediately. I was like, we should do this. And I, I checked the internet and then I sent him the link so he can sign for us. Over at the Forest Service table, Rodas and her family listen in as the event organizers give out tree-cutting instructions in both Spanish and English. You can't take a tree more than six inches in diameter or 15 feet tall. Okay. Um, we've got saws for you. A Forest Service ranger gives Vicky's husband, Nelson Rodas, a small handsaw and points them in the direction of a nearby trail. Let's go. As we head into the forest, Nelson tells me he works in construction and has experience cutting down trees, but he's never harvested a Christmas tree before. It's also the first time for Nelson and Vicky's youngest son, Jair Rodas. And wait, so this is your first time ever doing this? Yes. What do you think about it? It's fun. Are you excited to pick out the tree? Yes. yes. And how old are you? 10, turning 11, December 12. We... We're so excited to do this this year before it's getting late for him to get excited to get a, you know, cut your own tree. Vicky says she wanted to give Jair the same experience her own mom gave her growing up in Aguas Calientes. I grew up in a big family. We never had the option to buy a fake Christmas tree. So my mom, every year, she'd come and say, like, this afternoon we're going to go to pick up our Christmas tree. She says her mom would sing traditional Mexican songs while they cut down the tree. She was always singing for us and telling us like stories about her childhood, her mom. So it was really special for us. Vicky's mom passed away about nine years ago, but she says she wants to keep her memory alive for Jair. Right, Jair? Your grandma? Yeah. Back on the trail, Jair and his dad Nelson are keeping a keen eye out for the perfect tree. We need one at least four feet tall. 
After passing several not-quite-perfect candidates, Jair spots a small tree at the top of a snowbank above the trail. It's not too big. Let's go check it out. Vicky makes sure Jair puts his gloves on before we all follow him up the hill. Wait for me. <laughs> the snow is up to our knees in some places, and by the time we reach the tree, Jair is already pulling out the saw. After a few minutes of sawing, Jair takes a breath and assesses his handiwork. I'm almost halfway. <laughs> Not even. <laughs> He's almost halfway. No! <laughs> The father-son duo takes turns for several more minutes before we hear a snapping sound and Nelson looks up with a smile. Got it? Look at that! After taking several family photos, Nelson throws the tree over his shoulder and leads the way back down the trail. It's not that heavy. Back at the trailhead, Nelson gets to work securing the tree in the back of the truck. Meanwhile, Vicky tells me she was glad for the chance to take Jair to cut his first Christmas tree and to keep her mom's memory alive today. The way that she liked to, you know, keep us like happy and enjoy the things that we had. We don't have that much, but we, we always like grateful to be like, you know, big family and have those women with her. For his part, Jair says he probably would have been playing his Nintendo at home if he weren't out here with his parents today. Did you enjoy your first Christmas tree cutting? Yeah. And he says he's already planning to come back next year. Maybe next time I might be 12. Because this year I'm 11, next year I'm 12. Eleanor Bennett, Aspen Public Radio News. The National Weather Service forecast for the western San Juans calls for a clear night tonight with a low around zero degrees and wind chill values creeping towards negative 15. Saturday should be sunny with a high near 30 and clear skies remain Saturday night with a forecast low around 10 degrees. Sunday should be partly sunny with a high near 35 and Sunday night will be mostly clear with a low around 10. This has been the news for Friday, December 16th. Thanks for listening. If you have a story idea or a news tip, call the news team at 970-728-3206.